Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Church, it's my great privilege today to preach again, and uh, I'm excited about continuing our Bible study um, uh, through the entire Bible. We're now into the New Testament. We're in the book of Matthew, chapter 4. Last week, we had a special exception because of Easter, so Jordan uh, talked about the resurrection, and he talked about uh, what that means for us, but uh, today we pick up where we left off. Uh, The last time we were in our Bible study, we talked about Jesus being baptized, and today we're going to be talking about Jesus's trials in the wilderness. I'm going to go a little bit geek on you today. Now, you guys, some of you may be thinking a little bit geek. Matt, you're, you're a geek every week, and that's true, uh, but today I'm going to be talking about a little bit about comic books and uh, the undeniably uh, most popular character in the DC universe is Superman. He's the Man of Steel after all. And uh, he is invulnerable to any attack. As a matter of fact, every time I watch a DC Universe movie or uh, television show, I'm like, why do any of the other characters in the DC Universe even exist? I mean, Superman can do it all. Uh, he can. Uh, uh, he is invulnerable to bullets and every substance on Earth. However, as we all know, Superman has one weakness, right? It's kryptonite. And kryptonite is a green crystal-like substance from his home planet, Krypton. And it emits a certain kind of radiation that zaps Superman's powers and he becomes just like one of us. It weakens him. And when Superman's enemies learn of this, they of course formulate different plans and weapons to incorporate kryptonite and then weaken Superman and hopefully destroy him. Now, I grew up in the old Superman movies, right? With like Christopher Reeve and Gene Hackman. And I remember them, you know, putting him, putting the kryptonite necklace on him and throwing him in the pool to drown him. And he couldn't even swim because he was just so weak. And one thing about the kryptonite and Superman is this is probably the one area where each one of us can identify with Superman. We may not be able to uh, leap buildings in a single bound. We may not be bulletproof, but we all have weaknesses. Oh, at least one weakness. Many of us have more than one weakness. And we may refer to this thing or these things as our kryptonite. So I'd ask you today, what is your kryptonite? What is the thing that you struggle with the most as a Christian? What is the temptation that seems to rear its ugly head over and over and over again, zapping you of what you, uh, the power that you have and the strength that you've been able to build up? How does our enemy, the devil, use your weaknesses against you? Overcoming temptation, that's what we're talking about today. And overcoming temptation to sin can seem impossible, especially with an enemy so skilled at using our weaknesses against us. While Superman might have been powerless against kryptonite, we are not powerless against temptation. Jesus, our real-life Superman, Jesus, our real-life Superman, has given us the method and the means to overcome our kryptonite. 
and our enemy who would use it as a weapon against us. Today we're going to look at the temptation of, of Jesus in the book of Matthew. We're going to see that the, where the first Adam failed, the second Adam, Jesus, succeeded. He faced the enemy in the wilderness to show us the way to overcome temptation. So go with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then, now let me just, right there in the first word of our scripture, let me just pause for a second. Then. What is then? Well, this is a continuation, remember, of our story two weeks ago where Jesus was baptized. As soon as Jesus was baptized, as soon as his ministry was announced, as soon as the Holy Spirit descended upon him, as soon as the Father said, this is my son, Jesus then is led into the wilderness. Immediately after this huge spiritual high, after this huge announcement, he is immediately led into the wilderness for 40 days, where he is then tempted. So let's go on. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I am hungry after 40 minutes. Jesus is hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall put not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to, the, to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. There are three things we can learn from this text today. Number one, that God allows temptation. Number two, that God's word is our weapon in the fight. And number three, that Jesus makes victory possible. We're going to take each one of these things one by one. Number one, God allows temptation. Now, we might not like to hear this. I don't like to hear this. As a matter of fact, this was probably the biggest hang-up I had all week researching this sermon. Because, you know... Um, Every one of these messages is, is, a, is a time for me, too, to deep dive and, and kind of ask tough questions. And I was asking God, why do you allow temptation? Why, why does the Lord command us in his prayer, deliver us from evil? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why, what, is, what purposes can be served through temptation? Well, number one, God allows temptation for the testing of our faith. Now, no, nobody likes tests. I don't like tests. You don't like tests. Our students certainly don't like tests because tests put a, a lot of pressure on us. Tests reveal what the student has learned, what they've retained from their training. And when we are tempted, how we respond reveals what we know about God and how determined we are to do his will in spite of circumstances. It's a test. It's a test. And 
Look at, I, I guess when I say I don't like testing, I don't like tests that I haven't prepared for. If I haven't studied, if it's a pop quiz, if it's something like that, then I don't, I don't really like it. But if it's a test that I've prepared for, I've studied for, I've just done, I've done the work, then I don't mind. I look forward to the test. I look forward to proving myself. I look forward to, to seeing how well I've done. And, and this is the approach that we should take in temptation. You know, when the test comes, we should be looking forward to tackling it head on. We're not commanded to run away. We're not commanded to hide. But we're not, we're, we, we should be facing these temptations with the confidence knowing that we're ready. Now, the only time that we should really be afraid of temptation, the only time that we should be cowering from it is if we, if we aren't ready. If we aren't ready. But, you know, God has called us to be people who are ready to face temptation. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. When we are tempted, we are revealing what we know about God. When we succeed, we honor him and affirm our growth by uh, increasing trust in him. You know, when we succeed in temptation, we say, hey, I got this. I got this. God has got this. He is working through me and changing me. Where I was weak, now I find myself strong. When we fail, we can still bring honor to God and glory to him by getting up realizing where we've slipped and where we've fall, fallen and, and saying, I'm, I'm going to try again. I'm going to do this again. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to continue. I'm going to get ready next time. I'm going to get ready for this retest. You know, I remember when I was in a, a technical school in the Air Force, um, each, each uh, segment of my training was broken up into blocks and you could only fail one block test uh, uh, like twice. So you could fail two blocks one time so you had some retests unfortunately i never had to avail myself to those but i had friends who did and uh they it, it that retest even put seemingly more pressure on them and it, it was they were more fearful of it but i'll tell you one thing they studied they got ready and i didn't have one person in my class fail out because there was just that that hey i know what's coming now i'm ready that's what we need to do when we fall and slip into temptation hey i know what's coming i i know the plan of attack i know how to build up my defenses now and that's how we need to attack that even when we fail i want to tell you church i don't want you to despair i don't want you to get sad i don't want you to get depressed because even when we fail i want to tell you as, as long as jesus is lord his grace prevails in our life the enemy does not have the victory unless we decide to walk away from our relationship with God. That is the only way the enemy can win the victory. And that is exactly what he is trying to do through all his temptations and all his actions and all his work here on the earth. He is trying to get people to deny the grace of God in their lives. And so uh, that's what he was doing with Adam. That's what he's doing with us. Uh, and he does not win even a small, like when I say win the victory, he might win a small battle in the individual lives of people, but we know that he will lose the war. If you're at home, say amen. <laughs> for the, another reason that God allows temptation is for the building of our character. You've heard me say many times, and the quote isn't original to me, God is not as concerned with your comfort as he is with your character. And so temptation comes to build our character. And character is doing the right thing over a length of time. Um, temptation forms a heart of compassion. 
in us. And I love the verse in, uh, in, in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, where it talks about Jesus being our great high priest. Listen to what it says, Hebrews 4 and 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Jesus, Jesus went through the temptation he went through that he might empathize and have compassion with our plight. And it should, it should do the exact same for us. Temptation comes that we might realize that we need Jesus every single day. And the, the moments and the days where we stray away, we forget that the everlasting presence of God is with us and, and um, you know, he is, is in us and with us. That's the moment where we fail and we slip. But God is there. He is there to help us and he understands what it is to be tempted. Jesus, remember, is being tempted here by the devil. Another thing that temp, uh, temptation does is it makes us dependent, kind of going along with compassion. It makes us dependent upon God. We know that we cannot overcome our kryptonite on our own. We know that we know this because we have tried and failed. We have tried to face our kryptonite. We have we've tried to plot and plan and, uh, and come up with a, a formula to keep us from sinning, but we realize that we cannot do it without divine intervention. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12 and 10, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why is that? Why are, when we are weak, we are strong? Because in our weaknesses, God's strength and power is glorified. Because not only do we know we can't overcome sin and temptation, but the world knows it. Because you know why? They're trying to overcome sin and temptation in their own strength and their own power, and it's fine, they're finding it impossible. And so when, when a Christian is able to resist the enemy and able to say, hey, I, you know, I choose to follow Jesus here. I choose God. I choose righteousness. I choose holiness. When we do that, we are saying to the world through the testimony of our witness and our life, that the supernatural power of God is working in our lives and we are dependent upon that power to overcome temptation and evil. Temptation also keeps us humble. Christ submitted to the temptation in the wilderness in absolute humility. And that which tempts us is a constant reminder that without the grace of God, you and I would be lost in our sin and our depravity. Because temptation continues to come, because we continue to have to fight, it is a reminder of our frailty and our weakness in, in, in confronting sin on our own. It makes us dependent upon the power of God. We may be more than overcomers, but we are not more than overcomers apart from Christ. It is in Christ that we are made more than overcomers. We are not overcomers in our own strength, and it's not like God comes in, saves us, and then we don't need to operate in his strength or power from there on out. We need him every single day. We need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The third reason that God lets us be tempted, and this is not an exhaustive list, but another reason God allows temptation in our lives is for his own glory. Because as I said earlier, facing temptation is a way for the supernatural working power of God to come in and be demonstrated. You know, when I became a Christian, I became a totally different person. I've said this many times. And uh, the, the, the complete 180 was a testimony to the people around me that, that uh, the wonder-working power of God had come in. God is glorified when his people resist the enemy and choose to serve him instead of themselves. The world is busy serving themselves. Christians are busy serving the Lord. God is exalted when the enemy's plans to seek, kill, and destroy are thwarted. God is always glorified when the enemy is beaten back. Say amen. God's word, my second point is this, God's word is our weapon in the fight. God's word is our weapon in the fight. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 uh, through 17, we see a, a, an illustration, a word picture of what it means to put on the armor of God. And we have one offensive weapon. We have one offensive, we have the helmet, we have the breastplate, we have the shoes, we have the belt, but we also have a sword. Listen to what it says. Verse 11 of chapter 6 in Ephesians. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How do we use this offensive weapon God has given us? How do we use the sword? Now, I, I just want to say before we even get into this that the sword is not more important than the other pieces of the armor. We needed them all. But the sword is our offensive weapon, and the sword is what Jesus used in the wilderness to beat back the enemy. How do we use it? Well, number one, we need to read the Word of God. We need to read it. Daily reading of God's Word not only helps us fight current battles, but it prepares us for the battles to come. Now, I, I have a daily devotion. When I read God's Word, not all the time does it apply to that very moment or what I'm facing in that moment in my life. But I don't know what's going to come tomorrow or the next day or the next week. And I can't tell you how many times uh, it's been a week later and I'm looking back to a devotion I had and an understanding that God brought into my life for that exact situation. That's why we daily read the Bible. It's, it's, uh, it's like taking your vitamins, right? You're preparing, right? It's like training. It's like planning. You're preparing for the battles to come. We know that the battle is uh, imminent, and so we need to be ready to fight that battle. So we need to read our word. That's how we use the sword. Another way is we study it. Now, studying is different than reading because reading is a, 
It's not a casual glance, I understand that, but it's also not a deep dive. But deep dive studies uh, help us uh, bring clarity and understanding and of how to apply biblical truths to current temptations and, and circumstances. So when we, when we read a scripture and we, we say, oh man, that's good, that's good, I needed that, then we take it to the next level and we look at exactly who the author's talking to and what the circumstances they were facing. Many times we will find answers to our current predicaments and we will find how we can speak into those situations in our lives and how we can offensively combat the temptations that are coming into our lives. Studying God's Word also helps us um, recognize when God's Word is being misquoted or misused. This is so important in today's culture where biblical literacy is really at an all-time low. We need to know God's Word so that we can distinguish truth from fiction. Truth from fiction. If we don't know what God's Word says, which is our absolute standard for truth, then we can't decide what is false and what is true, right? If it lines up with Scripture, then we can accept it as truth. Another way we can use our sword is by meditating on it. What is meditating on God's Word? It's contemplating. It's, it's com contemplative thought and prayer over God's Word that allows us develop, to develop a plan uh, for the implementation of God's Word in our lives and our circumstances. So I may read God's Word, I may study God's Word, but then I will meditate on God's Word. Many times meditation for me happens on a bike ride. Uh, I'll take a bike ride or I'll take a walk by myself and I won't have any headphones in, I'll just have the silence aside from the cranking of the wheels or the sounds of my feet hitting the path. I'll have complete silence and I will just think about how do I apply this to my life? How do I live this out? What steps can I take uh, to make this truth a reality in my life? And uh, I may pray, I may ask God, God, show me, show me how to apply this. What, what, is, what are the obstacles, God, that might be standing in the way? Where, where might my nature be in the way? My greed, my selfishness, where may I be unyielding in this area? Show me, God, that I might live in obedience. These are the prayers and the meditations that I have over God's Word. Next, the memorization of God's Word. Here, Jesus, we see in the trials of the wilderness, he is ready to answer Satan. And Satan is misquoting Scripture for sure. He's twisting it just a little bit, just like he did in the garden. Just like he did in the garden, he's twisting it a little bit. And Jesus answers him with absolute truth. He's memorized scripture, he knows the scripture, and memorization is like arrows in the quiver for the Christian. You know, we are ready, ready just to draw that arrow and, uh, and put it in the bow and shoot it at our enemy. That's what memorization allows us to do, to be ready for those attacks. We should definitely have those arrows, we should definitely have those scriptures memorized in areas where we are particularly weak. Now, Jesus' temptation in the desert was just slightly different than the temptation we face um, in the fact that he did not inherit a sinful nature. So Jesus didn't have the sinful nature. Jesus was not a sinner. And so he went into this thing in a slightly different context than you and I would face it. And uh, meaning he didn't have a particular weakness already. 
You know, Jesus went into this thing as the full son of God, fully man, fully God. You and I are, have proclivities towards sinning, some in different areas. And so, and our enemy is most likely aware of these things. And so he knows exactly where to attack us. And so we need to have scriptures memorized that help us block those attacks. Romans says it like this in 13 and 14. If you were to struggle, for example, with sexual immorality, it says, it says this, this would be a great scripture to memorize. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That is a wonderful scripture to memorize if you're struggling with sexual immorality of any kind. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Memorize that verse. Put it on your, you know, put it on your screensaver. Uh, uh, tack it in your cubicle. Put it in your office. Put it where you face temptation. Put it on your mirror uh, so that you see it every day when you're getting ready. If you struggle with something, memorize scripture. For me to memorize scripture, I have to sit down, I have to write it out, and then I have to read it every day for several days to memorize scripture. We can also quote scripture. This is exactly what Jesus did, and, I, and we need to follow his example. He quoted scripture. As soon as the enemy came in, he was ready to rebuke him with scripture. We need to recite scripture out loud, right, in the face of temptation. Why is saying it out loud important. Well, when we're doing combat with the enemy and we're fighting temptation, it's important to speak it out loud because the enemy, unlike God, doesn't know our thoughts. We might think he knows our thoughts, but he probably just knows our behavior patterns, how we are to react. Remember, our enemy is constantly at work. He never sleeps. He's not slumbering. He's ready to attack at any moment. He's always, this is his entire life's work, right? This is all he thinks about. And so he may know your patterns, but he does not know your thoughts. And so when we rebuke Satan, when we speak God's word out loud, then Satan is rebuked and he hears that. If Jesus used the word of God to rebuke Satan, then it's safe to say we ought to be doing the exact same thing. We ought to be rebuking Satan with the spoken word of God. And if that means that you're at work and you're facing temptation and you need to get away, then just get away, okay? Just get away and, and say it. Say it out loud. Say it out loud. I'll tell you, when I was in Texas, uh, like many Texans, I had a concealed carry handgun license, right? I mean, it, it wasn't super common, but a lot of people had one and I, I had a concealed handgun license. And uh, as I was going through the process, I had a friend who was a sheriff's deputy in Bear County, and he was a martial arts instructor for the sheriff's department, and he was also a weapons instructor for the sheriff's department. And he told me to always carry my sidearm, my weapon, with uh, ready to fire. That means one in the chamber, ready to shoot the gun. Why? Because, he, and I said, man, isn't that unsafe? You know, because in the military, we're told always to have our gun on safe and and, uh, you know, there's some actions that are required, some muscle memory to get our, our gun in a fire position. But in, in, in uh, police work and in concealed carry, you're supposed to carry your weapon ready to fire. Why? Because when you need your weapon, uh, you've got to pull it out and be ready to fire. And even the most 
seasoned professionals sometimes lack the dexterity and the presence of mind to rack their weapon or to take their weapon off safe. And so they need to have it ready to fire. Church, I want to tell you that we have a lesson to learn from this. We need to have a scripture. We need to have scripture in the chamber ready to fire so that when the enemy comes, we don't have to think about it. We don't have to uh, have um, uh, be, be seeing it from a way off. We don't have to have intelligence saying that the enemy's coming. When he comes, we are ready to draw, aim, and fire scripture to rebuke him. All right, to rebuke him, neutralizing the threat. That's what we need to be ready to do. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, all the training we do, all the exercise we do, everything we do, very few Christians prepare in such a way as to fight the enemy. All right? They, and this is, why church, this is why the church is rife with sin. This is why so many struggle, so many suffer, so many are, are hurting. is because they're not ready to face the temptation when the enemy comes. They don't have one in the chamber. And it's not until after they've fallen that they go and they look and they say, okay, now I need to do this or do that. And even then, if they find it very difficult, church, have one in the chamber. Be ready. The fight is coming. And if you are not ready when the enemy comes, um, you're going to be the one who's neutralized. You're going to be the one uh, who's hurting. My last point is this. Jesus makes the victory possible. Um, with man, it is impossible to beat sin and temptation, but through God, all things are possible. It is possible. See here, we see in this we see in this this historical account of Jesus's temptation that Satan's power is limited. His power is limited. He he didn't force Jesus to eat. He said, "If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become." Bread. He didn't. He didn't make them bread. Of course, G, the Satan can't make stones bread. He didn't force Jesus to do it. He said, "If." He did not push him off the ledge. He said, "If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down." He did not make him take the easy way out. He said, "If you will worship me, then all these kingdoms will be yours." See, Satan contempt, but. We always have the choice to give in or to resist. The choice is ours. Satan's power is limited. The devil made me do it is the biggest cop out in the history of history. The devil made me do it. I, I had no choice in it. You always have a choice. I always have a choice. We have a choice. Matthew Henry said it like this, and I want to tell you this pierced my heart this week. Whatever real mischief is done us, whatever real mischief is done us, it is of our own doing. The devil can but persuade, he cannot compel. He can but say, cast thyself down. He cannot cast us down. The devil is real. His temptation is real. But the devil cannot make you do anything. You always have a choice in the matter. You always have a final say in whether to give in or to resist. And let's just take a moment as we review, as we've just kind of reviewed the temptations of Christ. Let's take a moment to just look at the uncomprehensible humility of Jesus in this situation. 
Let's not forget that Jesus created the heavens and the earth. The heavens, meaning he also created Satan. Satan is a created being. He is not the brother of Christ, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would, would, would uh, say. He's, he is created, and he's created by God. He also willfully sinned against God, right? He willfully sinned against God, which is why he is in his current state. But he is created by God. Jesus also created the earth, the sun, water, everything needed to make bread, which he was being tempted by. He created all of that. He created the people of the earth and all the kingdoms of the earth rise and fall on his word. And here Satan is trying to tempt him and he's submitting to that. And his father is God. His father is God. And so, and, and we know that the father has entrusted all things into the son. And so here Jesus is going through this and being tempted. And the enemy, I mean, really, what, what, did, what, could this, what could Satan truly offer Jesus that Jesus couldn't have on his own? Well, it turns out that in order for this entire, for, for Jesus to beat temptation, to give us an example, he couldn't avail himself to his, his creative power, his he, he never availed himself to God's power, to angels. He beat temptation as an example to us in exactly the same power and authority that we have in his word. He didn't use anything that is not available to us, but he did it victoriously. And this was so important because if he was going to undo what Adam had already done, he needed to do it in the same strength and power that Adam had in his moment of temptation. Adam certainly could have not eaten of the fruit of the tree. He could have certainly rebuked Satan. Instead, he gave in. He acquiesced. But Jesus came as our conqueror. He came as the victor. And he showed us the way to overcome temptation. He did it as an example to us. He humbly served and did it as an example for us. And he won the victory where Adam, our forefather, had lost it. Jesus' Jesus example is our victorious battle plan. If we're going to win against sin, death, and the grave, we need to follow Jesus' example. We need to be fully submitted to the will of God. Remember, as Jesus came out to be baptized by John, he immediately got up, filled with the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness. Mark's short um, a synopsis of, of the temptation in the wilderness says he was driven out, that he was compelled to go out. Why? Because Jesus was fully submitted to the will of his Father. It wasn't even an option to say, no, I'm not going out there. I'm not doing that. He went out in full submission. We must be fully submitted to the will of God. Jesus, remember, was led into the desert. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was prepared for what came in the desert because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We too must be filled with the Holy Spirit if we are truly to do battle and win against our enemy. We must know the Word of God. Jesus was well acquainted with Scripture. And we must speak the Word of God. Jesus was able to not only know the Word of God, but had it memorized and was able to speak it out when Satan came. This is the formula that we need to follow to overcome sin and temptation in our own lives. Remember, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give into the temptation and willfully sin against God.
So I'd ask you again today at the close of our message, what is your kryptonite? What is the thing that makes you weak? Doubt your God-given power and authority and makes you want to give up. What is your kryptonite? Are you going to be the victim forever? Are you going to continue to say, well, I have no power over this. I can't do this. That's a lie, number one. That's a lie. We have the power and authority to overcome sin. When are you going to decide that you are no longer a victim, but you are victorious in Jesus Christ? Here's a little known fact about being a Christian. It's in Romans 6.14. Sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you. This means that just even in our best efforts, if we fail, that, that Satan doesn't have the victory. He has the victory if you give up, if you quit, if you quit on God, if you turn your back on him. Then he wins a, a small victory in the grand scheme of things. But the great victory is won in Jesus Christ. Sin will have no dominion over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. We are not to be dominated anymore by sin and temptation. You are not a victim. The devil did not make you do it. If you're going to continue to sin against God, you're doing it of your own volition. You are a willing participant. You have to go along with those lies and the deceit of the enemy. And you've decided to take the easy way out, your way out. Church, God has called us to live in victory. Put on the armor of God. Take up your sword. Sharpen it. Get it ready. There's a battle coming, and if you're not ready to face your enemy, you will lose. We are called to an overcoming life, a life marked by victory, not by defeat. Follow Christ. Be obedient. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be knowledgeable. Be ready. Church, God has not called us to live Christian lives with hidden secret sin. He's called us to be overcomers. He's called us to defeat temptation. Now, here's the thing about temptation. Here's the thing about our fight here on earth. And this is the reason we should be looking forward to Jesus' return or our presence with him. It's because every day on this earth, the enemy is going to come as a tempter. I can't tell you the numerous things that used to tempt me that don't tempt me anymore. But guess what? There are new temptations. There are new things that creep into my life and old things that creep back into my life that I have to continually struggle with and battle against. We have to continue fighting. We have to continue the good fight. Because when we, when we, when we are finished with this race, when we are done with this fight, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into thy rest. Church, sin is a dominating force in the world. Temptation comes and it destroys lives as people give into it and sin. And God has given us every tool that we need to defeat it. We're not called to be victims. We're called to be victorious. We're called to, to be, be winners in this fight. And we have everything we need. I know that if I give in to sin and temptation, it's because I chose to. It's not because I didn't have what I needed to fight. God is not sending us out into battle naked. He's sending us out with the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit the word of god he is sending us out to do battle we are soldiers for christ and we ought to be winning we ought to be winning i'm so 
sad to see Christians kicked around and beat down and being dominated by sin because they just don't, they don't avail themselves to the tools God has given them to fight. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we are the victorious church. We are the overcoming church. We are the winning church. We are His church. Amen. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.